Um, so we're going to try and do a lot of things really quickly this morning because we do want to end a little early so that we can have time to, to not keep you long and really kind of spend part of our worship time having this little kind of community vision information meeting. We really consider that to be part of worship. Worship can't be just contained into this little window that says two songs, announcements, three songs, cheech. I mean, it's really just an expression of all that we are. So worship is our heartbeat for who God is. It's a condition of our heart. So worship can very much be when we gather together and we talk about all the things we believe God's leading us to do, begin to pray that he would lead us. So part of our worship experience is going to be uh, kind of having that little time together for those of you that are interested when we're, when we're done here. And so we're going to try and move through some things pretty quickly today, um, which I know for me is really hard. And so, but we're going to, we're going to really try our best to do just that. We are into week four of the book of James, all right? And, and I was going to, at the very beginning of all this, tell you it's going to be a 15-week look, but I learned last week that that's going to be a nightmare because we did three whole verses last week. And so this could be a 15-week look. It, it could be a 50-week look. So we're going to land somewhere in the middle. But we're on week four, and we're going to wrap up all of chapter one um, today. So we're going to be looking at the, the second part of what we sort of started last week, wrapping up chapter one. And it's been a really interesting four weeks because when we begin to really study Scripture, we really begin to kind of exegete it, when we begin to really open it up and begin to look at its words and to be look at, at what that, that calling is for our lives, we come face to face with it and we move verse by verse through Scripture, we can't hide from it. Right? When we kind of proof text, when we, when we read Scripture verse or like this one verse or that one verse, we can avoid the pieces of the, of the Bible that we don't like or we don't know what to do with and we can kind of lift up the things that make us feel really good. But when we begin to read Scripture from cover to cover, from point A to point B, we come across things that make us feel uncomfortable, that are challenging, that are hard. And when we preach through those, we're going to have to deal with them. In this four weeks, we've had to deal with some really tough things. And last week was one of those weeks where we really dealt with sort of the call of God in our lives. And we talked about consistency. We talked about the idea that our lives, how we live on the outside, should reflect how we live on the inside. And we, we explored that part of James where he talked about that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because how we listen to people, how we treat people, how we speak, those things can be about God's glory. But it wasn't just about how we lived on the outside, it was really also about how we lived on the inside. And we talked about the fact that James said that we are called to rid our lives of the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. We talked about ridding our lives of those kind of, that garbage, that moral filth, that stuff that is slowly killing us and eating us away. We sort of explored that. And, and the reason that's difficult is because most of us think that it's other people that deal with those things. And we don't like to name ours out loud or, or even in our own hearts sometimes. But when we really come face to face with the struggles and the issues and the sin and the reality of who we are, we realize that we have got stuff in our life that is holding us back from truly stepping into all that God has for us. And we have to, to literally rid our lives, to do some spiritual house cleaning. Well, this morning, we're going to be picking up on that same thought, that idea of consistency. But instead of just looking at it in relation to our lives and how we live inside and out, we're going to look, about, look at it in terms of consistency to the Word of God. Because how we respond to God's Word should be dripping with the same consistency that our lives, when our hearts and our words, uh, when those things match, that our lives would reflect. Now, most of us are okay thinking, you know, we should have lives and hearts that match, right? That the way that we live should match the things that we say. That makes 
sense to me because especially in the church we've been on the other end of that we've all had people in our sort of church lives that have demanded something of someone or said something about someone or demanded this out of the congregation or out of the people and then failed to live up to that moral standard themselves right we've all seen that or been a part of it or experienced it firsthand and so we understand the importance of saying if I'm gonna gonna tell you something then my life needs to match that we we understand that We even understand that in our own lives. If I'm going to correct my children or train my children or or discipline my children, then I I want it to be something that matches my own own life. I want to be consistent. Um, Well, what about when it comes to the Word of God? What does consistency have to do with those things? Well, James is going to explain to us today that, that the consistency of hearing God's Word and actually living it, responding in obedience, is as important, if not more important, than having our hearts and our lives and our actions match. Because we can't just go about doing things for the world. We at some point in time have to respond to God's call in our own life when we hear the truth. So this morning we're going to be in the wrapping up chapter 1. So if you've uh, got your Bible, I want you to pull it out. And we're going to open up to James chapter 1. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in verse 22. And we're going to kind of mosey through the rest of this chapter. And we've just kind of been reading verse by verse and then just kind of working through it a little bit. And, but I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Consistency, right? We're, we're working with this idea of a consistent life. How do we respond to God's word? Is it consistent with our actions, with our hearts, with our lives? Um, or is it one of those things we merely nod at and uh, pay kind of lip service to? So before we open God's word, let's just take a moment together and just pray, asking God to reveal his truth to us and convict us and challenge us, equip us, teach us, all those kind of things. Let's pray. Lord, we are uh, just grateful for the opportunity to uh, gather in this place. We thank you for worship. God, we thank you for uh, the fact that we live in a place where we can gather together and open your word, study it together. We recognize that there are believers all over the world that don't have that luxury. And God, we're grateful for it. Help us not take it for granted today, uh, Father, the fact that we sit here in a church that has Bibles and we'll teach through them and we're not at fear for our lives and Lord, we remember our missionary friends around the country um, and around the world today um, as they gather in their corners, Lord, uh, huddle together and, and uh, learning and, and growing and discipling and sharing your truth. Lord, we pray for our friends Brandon and Jenny Scott in Guatemala. We pray for our friends Billy and Jess in Bosnia and our friends in China. Father, we pray for our friends around the world. God, as they gather together this morning, we remember that this is not about us, but we are a part. We are wed together with a kingdom of believers, Father. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would take your word this morning and you would penetrate our hearts, that you would challenge us and equip us. Take a moment and just pray in your own heart. Pray that God would move in you, that he would do something just powerful, that he would just reveal himself to you in a way that is very real this morning. Just pray that for yourself. Pray for someone beside you, in front of you, behind you. Just take a moment and pray for the people around you. Just pray that God would move in them. Just something simple. God, move in these people. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for this morning. We pray that you would reveal truth to us this morning through your word. We recognize that when we encounter your word, we encounter you that this is living and active, and that, God, it is proclaimed and revealed and written to us as your love letter, Father, as your passion for our lives. And so help us see it, Father, and understand it this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 
we're picking up in this idea of consistency, okay? So you've got to keep that in the back of your mind, because as we go through this text, we're going to stop in one mid-sentence and kind of pick up in another, and so we've kind of always got to remember where we've been. And so James is talking about consistency, and he's talking about having our lives and our hearts and our actions, they need to match. We need to live with consistency. When we don't, we're living in the middle. We're living in mediocrity. We're living with contentment. But we should be challenging ourselves to say, God, I, I want the way I speak to people, the way I reflect my life to people. I want it to match what's going on in my heart. And so, God, I don't just want to live this thing on the outside, but I need you to, to correct my inside, to, to convict me of those things where I failed you and help me rid my life of the moral filth to, to begin to do some spiritual house cleaning. Now James is going to say this. He's going to say, now that you've identified and addressed some of those things, it's time to look at it in relation to God's word. All right, so let's look at verse 22 together. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. I love this little simplicity in this one verse where James says, now it's time to begin to live what you hear. Don't merely listen to the word. And by nature, all of us are listeners to God's word. Even gathered here this morning, we are listeners to God's word. We are hearing it. And when James is talking about God's word, or other New Testament writers are talking about God's word, they're not just talking about this Bible that you and I hold this morning, they are talking about the, the written and the revealed and the proclaimed word of God. They're talking about the law and the writings and the prophets and, and the words of Christ, the revealed truth of who, who Jesus was and the, and the word proclaimed by the apostles. They're talking about all that wrapped into one. And this morning, we very much are addressing the Word of God in the same way, that, that this Bible as we have it, we truly believe is God's Word for us. It is the law and the prophets. It is the, the wisdom writings. It is the Word of Christ revealed. It is the, the proclamation of the gospel through the New Testament writers. So as we have it, we're referring to God's Word, God's living and active Word. And if you've been with us for any point of time, you've probably heard me on numerous occasions preach about what we believe to be the authority of Scripture, or about the Bible itself. And so I'm not going to get too deep into that, but I want you to understand that when James says God's word, he's referring to all the above. He's referring to, to the word that was before, the, the law and the prophets. He's referring to the, to the words of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the apostles. And he says, do not merely listen to the word. And by our very nature, we are hearers. We are gathered in this place listening. In fact, this morning as we open our Bible and you hear me talk about it, we are listening to God's word. It's our very nature. It's who we are. And I would venture to say that we are also doers of God's word when it fits within my paradigm, my context, and my understanding. So I hear God's word. I hear it preached. I read it. I hear it proclaimed. I come in contact with it. And I will live that word as long as it fits within my understanding, what I like, what I don't like. But what happens when God's word begins to push those contexts? What happens when God's word is exactly what I don't want to hear? When God calls me to do exactly what I don't want to do? And we kind of came face to face with this a little bit last week when we talked about this idea of ridding our lives of the moral filth. What happens when God's word commands us to let go of the very things that we want to hold on to? What do we do then? How do we begin to live in response to God's word when God's word becomes difficult to hear? It's why we've created a culture of Christian proof textures where we lift up single verses and we hold them up and we write them on cards and we create promise books. We put them on our mirror and we celebrate those things. But the three verses that come before and after, we don't really know what to do with, so we pretend they're not there. 
Because those are the ones that call us to a wholly different life. See, how we respond to God's word is incredibly important. I think that we have created in our Christian subculture, not even intentionally, but, but followers of Christ that don't immediate, immediately react with obedience to God's word. Because God's word demands obedience. It commands it. When God says, do not merely be hearers of the word, but do it, it means that God's word commands, as followers of Christ, our response. Remember all that we talked about? We are slaves to Jesus Christ. I mean, our response is to say yes to the master. But in our Christian subculture, we've created a, a kind of mistakenly a group of followers of Christ that don't respond to God's word initially with yes, because here's what we do. When we're convicted, when we hear challenges, when we hear God's word, when he moves in our heart, we say what? Well, we say, let me pray about that. Well, let me think about it or let me get some advice on it or whatever. But the truth is when God says to do something, it means God says do it. It doesn't mean we take time and pray about it and think about it and reflect on it. Those are just ways for us to kick the truth down the road so that we don't necessarily have to deal with it right then. But see, most of us know that God is calling us to something. It doesn't have to be to move to Afghanistan and be a, a missionary. Sometimes those things happen. Sometimes it's just simply small things. Sometimes God is saying, forgive her. Talk to him. Let go of this. Quit doing that. Invite that coworker to your house or to church or to whatever. Sometimes God's whispers and God's truths are small. But we all can sit here and probably identify the fact that God is calling us to things. God's word challenges us and moves us. God's word proclaimed and written and revealed. And a lot of times our initial reaction when those challenges come is to say, God, let me pray about that. God said, I already told you. If you pray about it, I'm just going to tell you again. But we've created a culture that says, God, let me, let me reflect on that. Let me think on that to make sure it's from you. When God's word is proclaimed, when we come across his proclaimed truth, James says, be a doer of the word of God. I mean, how many of you last week when we were talking about ridding our lives of these moral things, really dealing with some of that nasty stuff in our lives, how many of you actually went home and did some radical spiritual house cleaning? Or how many of you sat here and sort of nodded and were mildly entertained and walked out of here and nothing is different in your life today than it was on Sunday? Even though you know sitting here that God was calling you to stop that to quit that, to let that go, to release this, to do this, to whatever. What does it take for us to stop being mere listeners and hearers of God's word and begin to do? Because that's what James says. James says, be a doer of God's word. And I love that simplicity because it says, look, just do it. Just do it. Stop making excuses and begin to live a life that says, God, I hear you. I said, read what you're telling me to do, and I want my life to reflect it. Because consistency happens when we hear God's word and we respond by saying, yes, Lord. Even though that can be difficult, even though it comes in the face of our paradigms and our struggles and our concerns. We are by nature hearers and listeners. But what does it take for us to move to doers and people that live an obedient response? I mean, this is the ultimate challenge in my own life. I mean, I read God's word and I come in contact with it and I know God is calling me to do certain things and I could feel those things revealed in my life. The ultimate response of a follower of Christ is, am I willing to say yes to God? Am I willing to do what God's word says? Listen to the example James uses when he says this. He says, listen, don't merely listen to God's word, but do it. Do what it says. Because when you do, you deceive yourself. Let me, before I jump into that example, let me, have you ever thought about this? 
that when we hear God's word, when God's word is proclaimed and we're convicted and we don't do what it says, we are deceiving ourselves. In other words, we are living a lie. When we hear God's truth proclaimed, when God speaks to your heart and you do not live it, when you don't respond in the obedience that God's word demands and commands, we're living a lie. And I found that especially convicting this week as I was sort of reading through this because I thought, you know, a lot of times I just pretend I don't hear it, but, but when I know that God is calling me to something, to let go of this, to rid my life of that moral garbage or whatever it is, and I don't do it, I'm living in deceitfulness. It's not just a matter of saying, oh God, I'm having a trust issue. It's actually deceit. It's saying, God, I hear you, but I won't do it. What we've learned from James 1 is that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus Christ, and our response should be, you purchased me out of slavery, God. So my response to you is yes. Even when it doesn't fit within my paradigm, my response is yes, Lord. So the question kind of for me is, is, am I living a lie? I mean, really living a lie. Listen to what his example uses in verse 23. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's kind of an interesting example. James says, okay, so if you, if you hear God's word but you don't live it, it's like a man who goes to a, a mirror and he sees what he looks like and he immediately goes away and he forgets. And if you think about a mirror for a minute, you can understand that a mirror is, uh, well, it's something that you look into and it gives you a, a very true or pure reflection, right? In fact, maybe there's nothing more true than a mirror, right? I mean, in terms of things or worldly things, there's nothing more true than a mirror because what you see is what you get. When you look in there, you see every bruise, every blemish, every wrinkle, every line, everything. It just exposes all that you are, Right? And, and if you look in that mirror and you walk away and you forget what you just saw, well, that's foolishness. But if you do it over and over and over again, what's the purpose of the mirror? See, James is saying if you walk in and look in the mirror and you study it and you see your reflection, it exposes all that you are. Don't forget who you are because if you do, that's foolishness. And you're, not, you're missing the entire point of the mirror because the mirror exposes who you really are. And he goes on to say this. He says... But the man who looks intently into the perfect law, the law that gives freedom, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. He says, the perfect law is like a mirror. Now, what's the perfect law? Well, the perfect law is the law of Moses handed down literally to the Israelites, given the sort of uh, calling for Israel to live and obey God. But the law was unattainable because of our sinful nature. So the perfect law is the completion of Jesus Christ, God's command for Israel, God's set-up law, completed through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Realizing that what we were totally incapable of doing, Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And when we look into that truth, God's redemptive plan for history, his love for humanity, his creation of the world, his call to be holy, attainable through Jesus Christ. We look at the purchase that Jesus made when he bought us out of slavery and out of bondage. When we gaze into that perfect law, we are exposed because we see who we really are. We've been talking about it for four weeks. When we look into God's truth, we see who we are. We recognize our own sinfulness, our own flaws, our own fears, our own failures. And we see them covered by the blood of Jesus. Because the perfect laws, James says what? Gives freedom. And he says that when you look intently into God's perfect freeing law, that you've been purchased out of slavery into a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
And he goes, when you look at that and you see God's call in your life and you begin to live it, you will be blessed in all you do. Because it's one thing to look at the law and not let it, or the perfect law, not let it penetrate your life. But when you look at it, it begins to affect how you live. And it gives God will bless you. Now, the reason this is important is because you and I can continue to come back to God's word all the time and hear the same calling, the same truth, the same promise. You are loved, you are redeemed, you are set free. And we can choose not to live in that truth. We can choose to continue to live in the sinful bondage which we've been set free from. Or we can say, God, you have purchased me out of slavery and I no longer live for me, but I live for you. And I can walk away changed forever. See, I think a lot of us get caught into this sort of lifestyle of repetition when it comes to our spiritual lives. We, we know we've been set free, but we fall back into the same spiritual trap over and over again of living in bondage of sin that we've been set free from. And we allow that cycle to continue to hold us back. But God says, look, you've been purchased, you've been set free, begin to live differently. Quit living like a slave held in bondage by that one sin where you escape for a few weeks and it pulls you back and it pulls you back. Your chains have been broken. When you look in God's law, you are exposed. All of your sinfulness is exposed, but guess what's also exposed? Your total freedom. And I meet more and more people, and I sit down with more and more people that that have been set free in Jesus Christ, but are living in bondage. Because we've yet to allow the truth of being a doer of God's word to penetrate our lives. Instead, we hear it, and we hear it, and we hear it, and we don't go back and spiritually house clean and say, these chains have been broken. I no longer have to be slave to that thing. But God has set me free, and now it's time to begin to live into that truth. So we hear God's word, and we're called to respond to it, to become a doer, to move beyond hearing and listening and begin to live a life of action. So what would it take for us to become more than mere hearers and listeners, more than churches full of head nodders and mildly entertained people that kind of walk out and aren't wholly changed by our encounter with God's word? What would it take to be so convicted to say, God, this thing in my life has got to change, that I will do what you're calling me to do, no matter how difficult or how easy it may seem? That after 17 years, I'm, I'm going to do this today. You've called me to it for 17 years. 12 years, two months, one day, whatever it is, you have called me to it. I hear it, and God, my response should be yes. For some of it's something massive, like career changes, for, or, or you know, cutting free of, a, of an addiction or a bondage that has held you hostage for decades. For some, it's just much smaller. Quit using this language. Quit saying this. Quit doing that. Begin to do this. Love her well. What is it that God is calling you to that it's time to begin to do? And this is what James says. Consistent life is a life where God says do it and you respond with yes. Anything else is inconsistency and it's a lie. So James sums all this up in chapter 1 with these last few verses. And I'll just kind of mosey through this because I think it's important to at least hear. And this is, he's kind of wrapping up all of his thoughts in this first chapter. If anyone considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein on, rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look 
after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now this may seem a little bit out of place. I mean, we've been talking intently about being slaves and being set free and being redeemed and, and about consistency. And then James kind of wraps it up with, with a very specific example of a reflection of our outward life. And he says that if any of you consider yourself to be religious, if you want to display the outward signs of religiousness, of Christianity, of Christ following this, yet you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue then your religion's worthless. And most likely what James is doing is he's addressing a very specific problem that was happening in that early church. That there was a problem of gossip and slander and something happening there. And James says, you want to call yourself Christ followers, religious, yet you can't do this to each other, your religion's worthless. Meaning that you say one thing with your life and heart, but your actions don't match. I mean, it's easy for us to get that. And let's be honest, we live in church cultures where gossip rules. Right? Christian subculture, the gossip train is, is almost worse than it is in other parts of our culture. And James is most likely addressing something just like that. He's going to say, if you're going to say you're going to follow Christ, yet you can't do this little thing, your religion's worthless. It's just one example of many he could have used. But what he's saying is that what you proclaim should match in how you live. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry kind of things. And I love this because most of us think this is not talking about us, but most of us are not the same person we are here than we are when we're at home or at work. Some of us live very different lives. The way that you speak to me is not the way you speak to your wife, and not in the good way, right? The way that you talk to each other is not the way you talk to your coworkers or your children. The language you choose to use before God is not the same language you choose to use to your mom and vice versa. See, what James is saying is consistency is important because in every one of these moments, we have the opportunity to glorify God. Every moment. And he says, you want religion, outward signs of that religion, then live life, a life of consistency. And he goes, you want to know the kind of religion that God honors? And he says, listen to this. Look after the orphan and the widow in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He goes, so you want consistency in a nutshell look after people that are broken the widow who had no way to take care of herself because in that culture a widow couldn't work she didn't have a son or a husband to provide for her and so she was hopeless and poor look after the afflicted look after the orphan in the same categories that which no one would care about James says let your calling to follow Christ match in how you live love the oppressed and the persecuted Love the forgotten, love the homeless, love the broken. And he says, and, because it's not enough to just go around doing things for people, keep yourself from being polluted by the world. In other words, rid your life of the things that the world claims to be great. The drive for success, the hunger after things and money and possessions and stuff, all that stuff that leads to emptiness and death and destruction. All the moral filth that our world tells us is okay, that we've become very calloused and complacent to, don't become polluted by it. And I love that word polluted because I think that most of us live in, a, in, in, a, in polluted hearts. And after a while of living in pollution, you begin to not recognize it. You begin to think it's natural. You begin to forget what clear sky looks like, what fresh air feels like. You just get used to it. We experienced it in China. After a while, it just doesn't bother you anymore. 
sin and moral filth and failure, that kind of stuff is the same way. It pollutes our hearts, and after a while, we just get used to it. Those words don't seem to bother us anymore. The things I show on TV aren't that big a deal. James says, keep yourself from being polluted by it. In other words, the inside of your life should be a reflection of how you live. The question for us is that, are we really willing to live as doers of God's word? Because maybe it's time to say yes, time to stop, time to go. Maybe it's time to do. This morning as we kind of wrap up our time in worship, what I really want you to think about is this. What is it that I know that God is calling me to? Maybe it's giant, maybe it's small. What is my answer to God? What has it been? I mean, what is it? Has it been kicking the can down the road by saying, let me pray about that? What if you know in your heart that God is calling you to begin to pray with your children and you haven't done it? Or pray with your wife or your husband or invite your coworker to be a part of your family or love that guy that nobody loves or change that career or give that money away or whatever it is or rid your life of that piece of garbage. Maybe it's time that we begin to say yes to God. The God that sets us free through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.